Welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Overwolf. With over 1,500 games supported, 165,000 creators, and 38 million monthly active users, Overwolf is the guild for in-game creators. Whether you're a gamer, creator, or game studio, Overwolf is the ultimate destination for integrating UGC in games. For game studios, Overwolf offers CurseForge for Studios, a white label solution that lets game makers and publishers easily integrate mods safely and seamlessly into their games, both existing and new, at zero cost. It's battle-tested by AAA studios and games, including Maxis with The Sims 4, Studio Wildcard with Ark, Take-Two Interactive, and others. For creators, Overwolf is the all-in-one platform that enables creators to build, distribute, and monetize in-game apps, mods, and game servers. In 2022, Overwolf paid over $160 million to in-game creators, proving that they truly value the talents and contributions of the gaming community. You can check out everything Overwolf has to offer at overwolf.com or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Novic Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Takei, and this is the Interview and Insight segment. Today, I have two guests, both the founders of something I find pretty interesting and pretty important, not only because of where they are building, but also because of the what. Today, I'm joined by the founders of Tiny Comet, Anka Agapi and Emily Tierney. They're the founders of a studio dedicated to building on the Roblox platform and are coming at gaming from the lens of education and special needs. In my mind, there could be no better place to start than where over 200 million monthly active users with ages ranging from 8 to 20 are at. We're talking about the challenge of committing to building on a new platform, finding developers to hire in this space, aka literally staffing a studio where the oldest dev might be 22 years old, what angle is being taken on when you say you're building an education game, and some of the economics of building on the platform as a studio. From what I remember, the creator take is like 50-50, so wondering whether or not that's different for dedicated studios. And most importantly, how are you building a game that will defeat the Roblox algorithm? So this is a major double prong. Roblox is a generational shift in how we play and build video games, and education is the bedrock of how we as humans grow. So I'm super excited to dive in, and welcome to the show, friends. Yay. Thanks for having us. It's good to have you here. And so before we get started, I would love for you guys to both give an overview of yourselves and your backgrounds in games. And I also want to hear what your favorite game in Roblox is. And I definitely will not know it. So please describe (laughs) what you actually do. I have played like one Roblox game and I was very confused. So which which one was that? I was in a forest (laughs) and there were a lot of trees. Okay. And... To me, remarkably, like nothing happened. So (laughs) I also have seen a game where you're like in a maze and you're trying to like play like a hide and you're trying to hide. It's like almost Mm. like hide and seek. So I have played that one too, but that one was a little bit more clear, but most of them have been confusing. All right, Emily, why don't you uh, kick us off? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Emily. I'm the co-founder of Tiny Comet. My background is in computer science and engineering. I spent first half of my career at Google and then the last seven years at Supercell as a tech lead. My favorite Roblox game is Rainbow Friends. I love how easy it is to jump into the gameplay. And I always get a good laugh out of it in just a short 10 minutes play session. I love all the horror games on Roblox because they're not very scary. But then it's like a mix of like funny and scary. So it's like going to like a Halloween event at a theme park. I spent majority of my career in mobile gaming. So going to Roblox was really exciting. Feels like the UGC platform reminds me of the early day of mobile gaming. Like, why would anyone build games on Roblox? And I remember people saying, why would anyone build games on mobile? <laughs> so happy to be here to share a story with you. Nice. All right, and Anka? Yeah, and my name is Anka. I'm Emily's better half. 
<laughs> I have a background in in business and marketing, and that's where I spend most of my career in different companies. And I also spent several years working in education for an NGO, but also for a university back in Finland. And I'm bringing the educational side to our to our company. Favorite game in Roblox? I feel like I have many games that I enjoyed, but I think one that I love the most is Restaurant Tycoon. And the reason why I like it is because I'm a foodie and I love food. I like cooking food. And I feel like it goes back to the aspiration of owning a restaurant. So that's my retirement plan. So (laughs) (laughs) in, you know, when, when I'm old and have nothing else to do, I want to open a restaurant somewhere on the beach. (laughs) So I feel like the restaurant tycoon is kind of resonating to that aspiration. Those um, management sim games are recently quite popular. I was actually reading about, it's like a Eating venture, eating venture. I don't know. I can't remember what it was called, but I was reading about something that's kind of similar to that. Managing a restaurant partner is actually playing a game where you manage people's like social media career. The simulation of like real world management is growing, but very cool. Thank you for sharing a little bit both about yourself, but I would love to understand how you guys met and then what kind of both compelled you to found the studio together. Yeah, I actually met Anka, I would say eight years ago. So I worked with Anka's spouse at Supercell and we met through many of like the Supercell events, whether it's like the spouse offsite, <laughs> the company events. And, you know, you, you, when you vibe with someone, when someone's kind of on the like, same wavelength, you kind of keep remembering that person. And when we first start thinking about starting a company, I think the thing I keep coming to this most important thing about partnership is is this person going to give me the confidence to start this company and make me believe that this is what I can do as a team? And I just couldn't think of anyone better than Anka to do that with. And six months later, you know, we, we went through the Speed One Accelerator, go through a lot of ups and downs, whether it's like personal events and company matter. Yeah, like she's the person for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I think also what... What's important is that we really complement each other in we, we do have, we share the same values. We have the same ideas, but when it comes to working style, she always sees things that I don't see or the other way around. And I feel like from, from that point of view, it feels like we have like a 360 overview of whatever decision we want to make because yeah. we see like both perspectives. So that's, yeah. that's pretty unique. That's awesome. It's very serendipitous and good on Supercell for creating (laughs) what we in the business world call collisions um, for (laughs) folks to mingle. So that's that's really fun. Okay. So, you know, you guys gave me a bit of overview about yourself, but at a high level, I would love to understand a bit about the game that you're, the game that you're building, your studio, Tiny Comet. You know, you mentioned that you're building education games, but Tell me about a little bit about the type of game, the platform, the target audience. We'll dig more into like the specific specifics of the game first, but just kind of generally at a high level. Yeah, I can kick off and then have, have Anka back me up on some of the, the points. We really focus on building history-based learning games. And the reason why we're so interested in history, because history is just a great IP, whether it is US history, art history, world history, there should be more games about our collected human experience. And if I think about some of the best learning games, for example, Assassin's Creed, This War of Ours, Age of Empire, you don't even feel like they are like an educational game. You just think that they're great games. But while playing these games, you learn so much about Egyptian history, the war in Poland, and the Mayans. <laughs> and, and we were so inspired by those type of games. So the target audience is 10 to 17. I, I think that, you know, we, we want to create these immersive world RPG games. And these game mechanics and game loop are complex. So it's not just a very simple loop. You do something and you're done. We want to really adapt like some of the best learning from RPG games into our learning games. Yeah. And, and also we, we believe that history can be learned through playing games and through play in general. And I feel like when, when I was studying history, it was all about memorizing dates. And because of that, I really didn't like history. And now 
I wish I could go back in time and learn history differently because history is a lot about questioning, questioning society, understanding society, understanding what happened in the past. How is that impacting what we're, the present? How will that impact the future? How history repeats itself. And you cannot, many times you cannot experience history through a textbook. You need to get immersed into it. And, and what's a better way to immerse yourself in history than playing a game and immerse yourself in that world? Yeah. So that's what yeah. we're trying to do. Immerse uh, students and, and children in, in historical games. Yeah. And I think you're building, you're doing something that's actually really quite important. I think maybe for those that are, you guys are obviously quite probably attuned to the broader space of education. And we also all know that in general, ed tech has like a relatively bad rap, uninvestable, won't generate returns. I'll just share with you guys and maybe we can talk around this, but the TLDR is that for at least in the United States, the humanities in general are in trouble. Majors in core subjects like English, history, foreign languages, philosophy, and religious studies have fallen significantly over the past 20 years. In 2009, I believe that like 55,000 degrees in English language were earned, Lang and Lit. And today it's like 3,300, sorry, 33,000, sorry. And the majors in all the other subjects are also down like a 40% from their 2010 peaks. The opposite's happening with STEM, but who will know what will happen, how AI will impact this going further. But also on the testing fronts, ACT scores have slid to 30-year lows across all subjects, dropping to an average score of 19.5 out of 36. My brother got a 36. And so I'm just like, wow, like 19.5 is (laughs) way lower than a perfect score. And this is obviously likely due to the cascading effects of schooling during the pandemic and generally indicative that people are less ready for the college curriculum. And also you just mentioned like, yeah, the way that things are taught are not necessarily conducive to the way that they could be learned in the most effective way. But I guess my question to you guys is... Can you describe to me why you think building education in games in Roblox specifically is going to work? I hear the points around Age of Empires and stuff like that, but why did you pick Roblox specifically? And what are players doing there that you think indicates that they'd be attracted to playing a long-form educational history game versus the tag game that I was (laughs) (laughs) speaking about at the beginning of the episode? Well, I think the trick is that we don't advertise ourselves as an educational games to players on Roblox. <laughs> That's number one. Because kids are so smart, right? If you like if you tell them this is good for them, they would absolutely not do it, right? It's like they can spot a chocolate covered broccoli from miles away. Uh, but what I really love about Roblox as a platform is it allows players to take a field trip whether it is, you know, going to the space, under the sea, or some magical fantasy world. And when I think about history, the best type of history programs or media, whatever, that it's allow you to experience what it's like. So we want the players to have this opportunity to take a field trip in the past. So when we were building the games, we tried to like really make the environment mimic that period of time, but it doesn't have a very strong narrative. We want players to actually create their own narrative. Like these are the harsh environments in that time period. This is a survival game. These bears are going to be fierce and you have to like, you know, figure out a way to, to work as a team. And what kind of story are they going to be able to tell and, 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 you know, create as a group? And on top of that, you know, like we think about learning, right? Learning and gaming go so well together because grinding is learning. Every time you play a new game, what do you do? You have to learn the system. You have to learn the environment. You have to learn the rules that this world imposes. And if we can like just mimic those like like objective into the learning games, then history, the subject itself, just become the IP, the background story. And now you learn the rules of this virtual world. This is the harsh environment during that time. You cannot grow crops. The winter is very harsh. And these animals are going to kill you. How can you, how are you going to do to survive, right? So, and, and when we play test our game with kids, right, they have so much fun playing the games and we're worried that, oh, they're not going to be able to retain any information. But toward the end of the play testing, they can tell us like every single natural threat that was occurring to them during 1600 Jamestown. They remember uh, why, why it was so hard to survive as a survivor. Uh, a, a settler, sorry. And what is the causal impact in that environment? 
And I think the most important thing about learning history isn't so much about memorizing the facts, but really inspire kids to have that credible thinking skill and thinking about why things happen a certain way, why people have to make a certain decisions. And we really want to like convey that in our games instead of just trying to make like an interactive history book. Because you have Netflix for that. You don't need us for that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And maybe to take a step back, why we yeah. chose Roblox, we want it to be where our audience is. And most of the, the kids nowadays are in Roblox. So you, you mentioned at the beginning, Roblox has now, I think the latest number was like 65 million daily active users. And out of those 67, I think, around 70% are under 16. So they are already in Roblox. So why not create something where they are uh, already present? Roblox already has the distribution. They are present in... I think it was more than 100 countries. They cover a lot of languages. They cover mobile, desktop, VR, consoles, and so on. So for us, it's so so much easier to test what works yes. and what doesn't because they, they offer the infrastructure, they offer the, the distribution, and, and we can, like a, at a very low cost, we can test the, yes. the mechanics that work, the games that that work and then then move forward from from there. And to add to Anka's point, right, we have two development track. We have the four to six month, the long development track where we're creating this very immersive RPG game. But we also have a very short track that is only four to six weeks where we want to test out some of these like popular Wallbox mechanic, right? Can they be a good mechanic for learning? You know, there's so many of these obby games in Wallbox. Those takes like no time to make, right? Why not sprinkle some learning element into it and see if kids actually like it. And if it doesn't work out, it's only like three, four weeks that we we, we spend on. Let's just run another game, yeah. test another game. Yeah. yeah, the time to like the time to creation is so low and the mm-hmm. cost yeah. to creation is also yeah. so low, which yeah. makes the platform really, really fascinating. And I'm super excited to talk about like Roblox platform and building later on in the episode. But before we go there, you know, I think you I wanted to draw back to the points that you were saying, like, hey, like sometimes we're not marketing this as an educational game. And, you know, I personally, from my experience, used to play ed tech games and stuff like Peter Rabbit. I don't know if anybody remembers Lowe's language learning games and God knows what else. And I absolutely hated that because they were like mostly bad games, right? They they were definitely like teaching me something, but they synthesis between what we're learning and the game mechanics and the game and the core game loop were just completely detached. Though there was one platformer where I played as a ghost and you had to jump from... <laughs> the synonym of one word onto the next block. And if it wasn't a cinnamon, synonym, you would just <laughs> fall through. That was actually kind of fun. That's fine. Um, but the, you know, I think that was well done. There was like a matching thing and mm-hmm. this, it played to the platform mechanic, which is genuinely still fun and exciting within and of mm-hmm. itself. But you guys are talking about building a history-based game. You know, it's maybe similar to like what Civ Six does and you go through the generations. Right now, you mentioned that you're, some of your players are playing in Jamestown. And I'm wondering, what are the actual mechanics that you are having your players do to actually like, you know, grok with, you know, similar to what I said, the platform game where you're jumping to get synonyms. What are your players actually doing and how long are their sessions? And what do you, is it chaptered based? Like, you know, like day one in Jamestown, we are getting wood to walk me through that. And do people play together? Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the, I guess the game design. Yeah. yeah. I, I will let Emily take this. She's the brain of. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, when we first approached the game design in Roblox, right? I realized that my mobile gaming skills became a bit useless. I actually have to, got a lot of help from our developers, the, the young developers who've been on Roblox for 10 plus years. And the funny thing is that when you find someone who is a Roblox developer with 10 plus years skill, they're 22. Because you know, like, they've been playing Roblox since they're 10. But what we learned is that the play session has to be short because you, you're really competing with like kids who are just playing a game between soccer practice. So they, they don't have time to sit there and play a very long section of games. So that's number one. Yeah, the, the average, just as a side note, the average play session, I think it was something like seven seven minutes in Roblox. For Roblox, wow, mm-hmm. okay. It's really short. And number two was that, like, we, we look at, like, all the very popular categories of games, right? And we saw that, like, games like Tycoon is very popular. Simulation game is also very popular. 
And, and, and we try to figure out like what type of game that is popular on Roblox that kids already like and understand the mechanic of, and how can we apply that into our history-based game, right? So if we just take the learning side aside for a second, we know that like the game section have to be short, and then the players need to be able to experience a big portion of that game in order to feel the progression in that 10 minutes. Sure. So you, you can't make them grind because if they have to grind, they're like, I'm not going to play this because it's so easy to jump from experience to experience, right? So with all that learning, we realized that, okay, we want to do a survival game because it really fit the storyline of Jamestown and Settlers. So it's finding the games that fit the storyline first, then trying to like figure a storyline and try to impose into like, a, what we like to say instead of gamifying something, we try to learnify something. How do we learnify a survival RPG game? So with that in mind, we know that like the game has to be social because Swallbox is really social. And majority of the games, if it's like an individual player game, it doesn't do well. So we're betting the game to be 90% social. You, you can't play the game on your own, but it's not going to be very fun. It's going to be a 10, player sec- 10 players in the sessions. And for the game is up to 30 minutes. But even if you play 10 minutes, you will already feel a huge sense of progressions. And there will be like different survival wave mechanics. So each wave, that will be new settlers coming into the settlement that you're building with your friends. And then you got to also experience different threats during the the 10 minutes. So it's building, surviving, exploring the settlement. And so I would say it's a mix of Minecraft, Valheim, and a tower defense game. So we were merging a lot of these popular mechanics into one body. Got it. Yeah. And these, so these are some of the trends that you've seen. You're like, okay, yeah. let me take the top three game genres on Roblox, Tycoon, yes. Management, Tower Defense, and then yes. kind of combine them and wrap that around the story of Jamestown. And so ostensibly what I would think is that, okay, so after someone plays Jamestown a thousand times, they might get bored of playing Jamestown a thousand times. And then you might move to another piece of American history or yes, something else. Exactly. and those game design would look different for those games or the same? So the the goal is that after the players finish experience the Jamestown map, they will unlock additional map. And those additional maps would then become a different part of American history. And even just the same map on Jamestown, right? You're playing from a settler perspective and the pioneer storyline has been told, uh, uh, I don't know, a thousand times, right? What about the perspective of Native Americans? So you'll be on the same map, but you might be playing from a different perspective, different role. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm. So what we want to do as... Yeah, we've got uh, too much Oregon Trail. We had a lot of Oregon Trail. Maybe yes. Something else. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the, the purpose of the beta is that we want to see how many players experience the entire game to really determine like, what do we do next for the content? Do we expand the map? So we cover Pennsylvania, Boston, and all these regions. Or do we want to like explore the perspective from other, like Native American, the animals, the buffaloes? What was it like when, you know, a bunch of settlers coming? What is the impact to the environment? So we want to learn those lessons from the beta and then co-create the games with the community to see what they're interested to learn more. Yeah. And, wow. and, I, okay. and I think like this goes... <laughs> One peculiarity about Roblox as a platform is that they themselves don't encourage a very long cycle of game development. You should develop the game in one, two months max, put it out there, get feedback from the players, and then co-create with them. So now we're trying to have this rapid cycle where we put the game together, we put it in front of the players, we get their feedback, and then what what will be next will be pretty much decided by by our players. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so there's a strong element also of collaboration yes. of between Tiny Comet the studio and Tiny Comet's fans. Yeah. And so maybe this is actually like a good way to jump into, you know, you told me about your founding journey and how you, you guys met. But, you know, we talked before and you told me that, you know, two-thirds of the people that are at Roblox are under 16 years old and that some of your own developers are actually quite young. So tell me a little bit about who you've hired and your relationship with your current community that you have. Yeah, so hiring was really interesting because it was different than how I used to do hiring at Supercell and also at Google. The best Roblox developers, not on LinkedIn, they're on Twitter. 
right? <laughs> you have to sort of discover that. Because they shared on X. Oh, Discord. On X. So, oh, on X. X. Sorry, on <laughs> X now. On X. You need to cut and, this part. Cut this. <laughs> and and they 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 pride themselves as Wobox developer. Like it's really interesting because like if I think about like you know hiring for engineers in the past, they would be like, I'm a C sharp developer. I'm a Java developer. They very focus on their certain coding skill. But Wobox developer, they're like, I'm a Wobox builder or I'm a Wobox scripter. They they tie their expertise to that to the platform, right? And it was really refreshing to me. So I know that okay, I'm not gonna find. I, I can't type in Wobox and find them on LinkedIn. I have to go to Twitter. I have to go to the Wobox Talent Hub, and I have to find them on Discord. So it started with me like sketchily sending some kid that I don't know how old they are a DM on Discord and be like, "Hi, I'm this person. Did you have a portfolio that I can check out?" and what was interesting is that for the first three months after we, we hired these developers, first as like a freelance contractor first, we don't know what they look like. We, we would get on these like call and there's no camera. I have no idea what they look like. And I only hear a voice and the black screen. And I think one of the things like my, my friend would be like, hey, careful, don't be scared. I'm like, I got to take the risk, you know, I'm already making the, taking the risk of like, you know, emailing them, messaging them, might, might as well just like go with it. And, and, and they actually was teaching us about this online, stay anonymous online, because that is the new generation. They, they don't like to show their faces. They don't like to, you know, share any real information. And for the longest time, we were calling them by their username, not even their real name. Right. It was after almost like four months of development together them seeing our face every time we get on call because I, I feel like such an idiot. I would be, you know, have my camera on and talking to a black screen <laughs> for months. And I finally, understand the feeling, yeah. <laughs> finally, to gain the trust and then once they trust you, oh, that relationship completely changed. Like they, mm. like I, I see them, you know, doing so much extra work and believing in the missions. And that's another thing with like young developers is that they are more inspired by missions and impact they're going to make than just purely monetizations. I, I let Anka add a bit to that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 was, I was surprised how, how strong values they have, yeah. how they're very mission-driven. They have an amazing can-do attitude and and I feel inspired working with them every day is is just so inspiring and and they make me wonder what was I doing when I was their age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they it's it, it's amazing to to work with them and not to mention the the expertise they bring from yes. from so many years being in in Roblox and we are learning Roblox ourselves and I can say like we we learned so much in the past months and maybe, I don't know, maybe half or more than half wouldn't be possible without them. Yeah. And and I, I have to share the story with you, Alex, because I remember we were like talking about monetization with the team and, you know, coming from mobile, you know, I would say you, we got to do gotcha boxes, you know, gotcha is what make money in mobile. And the team correct me immediately. It's like, we're not going to do gotcha boxes because that doesn't stand with our value. And I felt like a bad person. I'm like, what? And Welcome only- to PC. <laughs> Welcome. To- <laughs> but, but not only It's not that. so easy over here for monetization for us in PC and console. <laughs> and, and, but what they were trying to explain to me is it's not only it doesn't align with the value. They're trying to explain to us mm. that it doesn't work in Roblox. This generations of players, yeah. Yeah. They, don't, they don't monetize on Gacha anymore because they, they know it's, it's not something they want to spend on. And when we talk to other like experts, we learned that only 10%, like in a lot of games, only 10% of the revenue came from Gacha on Roblox experience, wow. which is completely different from what I've learned in mobile. You know, like any games I play on mobile, it's hard to not not find a Gacha box, you know? Sure. So, so yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. <laughs> and I think that's de- I think that definitely grots with a lot of people who are in Gen Z or, you know, identify and they want to support companies that are like for good cause that abide by a lot of the like, green and climate and social change values, et cetera. But you talked about, you know, I think last time we spoke, you actually said that a great phrase, you said you hired your customer 
right? An 18-year-old person, a 16-year-old person, a 12-year-old person, right, <laughs> is your customer. And so therefore you hired them as developers. And so you guys have how many people working for you, right? How many employees? I would say contractors, freelance, and full-time together is like seven. Seven, uh, okay. Yeah. And I guess like maybe, and this is, I guess, a question that's particular to the fact that they're they're quite young, right? You, an 18-year-old, I mean, I remember being 18, and I seemingly had a lot going on in my life. So the first question is, you know, how are you planning to ensure stability and conviction that features are going to ship on time? Because if they're going to soccer practice or they're applying for college, <laughs> right, they might have bigger things yes. on their on their plate. And the second is, I'm wondering whether or not you're involved in any of the parental situation of kids that are basically working for you guys and how you're navigating kind of like the labor laws of people being so young and also making sure that parents understand that what they're doing is very legitimate. They're being compensated for that and that you guys are not the scammers, which I could see <laughs> a potentially a parent who's very, very unfamiliar with Roblox or gaming having um, apprehensions about. Yeah. So most of most of the the kids we're working with they they're already working as as contractors and ah. they already have different they, they have many gigs at the same time which sometimes can be you know like a, a downside for us because they have so many things that they work on and there might be delays as you as you said and and then the the ones that are working full time with us they they're actually working full time they graduated and then they're 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 looking for a more like a, a stable job. So it's it's interesting to see how how they they're managing school and freelance projects at the same time, and they they stand up to them so so nicely. Like at, at sixteen, as I said, like I, I I'm impressed by them. And of course, their their parents know what they're doing since they are. I think Emily, you there was something with with a contract that you had to sign <laughs> with the with the parents. Yeah, well, you know, being mom ourselves, you know, it's very important that they prioritize schoolwork. I think Anka and I would. It, it's just so. None of this is normal, Alex. None of this is normal. <laughs> okay, it, it's weird when we get on the calls like, "Hey guys, have you finished your homework yet? You know, like, is everything good at home?" Okay, because this 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 can wait. And then we, we have like a, a 17 years old intern, right? He was gonna skip school that day to like do a research for us. And I was like, do not skip school. Go to school. Do not do this. This can wait. But but like of course I'm like so inspired by their drive and ambitions and wanting to do good for the world and help us in this project. But we always want to prioritize for like, you know, their schoolwork. And I think like us being mom. Like and us having that relationship with them really help building that trust. And maybe like I, I think like being mom mother ourselves, we actually play into our advantage. Cause then in a way they also feel like we are constantly looking after their well-being. One of the challenging things with young working with a such young team is the schedule is all over the place. Right. Oh my like gosh, said, I bet. Like a lot of productivity on the weekends. But Anka and I are off on the weekend. So we're like, they're paying me. I'm like, oh, what do you think about this design? I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not working right now, but I have to work. But during weekdays, they have to do homework. So they're busy. They, they can't really work with us. So it's like almost the schedule is upside down. And, and, and some of them, because, you know, we, we have a contractors in Canada. And I would, just, I would just say like, he's one of the best UX, UI designer. And he's so sought after, right? After our project, he already have three other projects lined up. And kids is only 16. So it's like, how do we make sure that the project he's doing, that he feel empowered? Yeah. And number two, that he felt like he have a say on what he likes and what he wants to do. And more importantly, how can we work more flexibly with you know his schedule? Because in my opinion, he really knows his players the best because he is the player himself. So, yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Gosh, it's, it's, it's probably just, it's such a, I didn't even think about the, the flip-flop of the weekends and the, <laughs> and the Monday through Friday. That's, yeah. that's fascinating. And yeah, it sounds like they, it's like some of these, I listened to an episode with a bunch of Roblox developers like two years ago. I can't, I can't exactly remember. It was like, there's like a flower game that's like really popular, but I can't exactly remember what what the names of the developers were called again because they weren't going by their names. They were going by their like gamer tag and that yeah. made it just even more confusing to keep track of who was speaking. But yeah, it seems like multiple, usually Roblox developers have multiple projects, multiple things that they're working on. And so 
That actually brings me more to the question about the business model and the platform of Roblox. Most of those guys are probably working six gigs because they split 50-50 on all the things that they're doing. So walk me through how it works for you guys, because you guys are a third-party developer that's on Roblox, and then you are hiring Roblox creators. Walk me through the economics for the studio and how that works. We'll talk business model, which obviously is probably deeply seated inside the Robux economy, because that's what you guys are kind of stuck with. But what does that actually look like? And what is the actual sharing of the bottom line look like for Tiny Comet, your employees, and then the people who contract with you, are they still splitting 50-50 because they're creators? Tell me a little bit about that. You know, when we first approached the robust creators and developers, we're very clear with them that the goal of our game isn't to make money right away. It's to really drive impact, to really break up this, to really like disrupt this category of games. It's really hard to make good games already. And when you want to make it educational, you make your problem exponentially harder. So our priority is how can we just break that barrier? How can we just inspire a group of developers wanting to work on these projects first and have some of these learning experience to be the one on the front page? So we're very transparent with them. Like, you know, you it's not going to be that type of game that we're going to monetize the crap out of players. We're just not doing that. I mean, especially if we're not even doing gotcha boxes, right? <laughs> so, so we said that we'll pay you a good, you know, contracting fee, and it would be a fixed fee. And if you want to do web share, we're happy to do it, but just know that that's not the goal. So, up to you what you decide to do. And a lot of them is actually very, I was saying, understanding our position and happy to like, you know, invest their time with us, knowing that you know there's not going to be like a huge web share for these type of experience because uh, that's not our goal at the moment, you know? Yeah. And we we want to focus on building a, a community. That is our, our main goal. We want to be the educational game company on, on the platform without being straightforward, the educational game <laughs> company. And after after having the, the community and ha- after having players that really love our games and after releasing game after game that is very successful in terms of visits engagement then monetization will be so much easier to to put in place so this is this is our our strategy yeah because i think how is oh sorry go ahead no and i think advantage of like being a wallbox is that players already know that there's stuff to spend on wallbox wallbox whether it's you know, you can do these game paths, you can do like cosmetic items in the game. And there's one interesting thing in Wallbox that I noticed is donations. People donate a lot of money to an experience that they find very, very delightful. And so it's it's a bit different of monetization strategy compared to like what I was most familiar with, which is mobile gaming. It's not so much about extracting as much value of a player. It's more about how much how much can we delight that players when they play this game? And if they learn something, that's like the bonus, right? On top of that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And as I understand it, it's like uh, rather ane- anecdotal evidence. But Roblox is a, a little bit similar to like hyper casual, where instead of doing like live ops, you would just release new mini games over and over and over and over again. So when you're talking about being the like the educational Roblox game, you're not talking about building. Jamestown game that's called Tiny Comets game number one that gets updated over time. It's Tiny Comets game number one, Tiny Comet game number two, Tiny Comet yes. game number three. Yes. So yes. your cohorting is very much like segmented by the game, not inside one major yes. live service. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Got it. And so then in that regard, how are you guys thinking about, you know, retention in those many, many games over time, because as I understand it, there's like, there's 40 million games on Roblox and like 70 of those games have crossed the billion play count. Um, and so how are you going to make sure that like this game, this first mini game that has something to do with Jamestown cracks into the top charts in order to basically begin what I suppose is your flywheel for mini game number one to mini game number two to mini game number three. Well, we have this very ambitious goal when we start a studio that, okay, we're in the learning phase right now, but can we push ourselves to at least have four games in six months, four experience? 
because one thing we know this with other like studios, right? Especially the the one that have more funding or more experience in the education space. It does take a longer timeline to push out these games. And us, you know, we we can push faster. Like I, I think all we have is speed. So four games in six months. Once we understand the formula, can we do eight games in six months? Can we have more of these mini games? Like keep coming out and riding the trends on Roblox, right? And then in the same time, you know, for games that actually we felt like there is good traction, can it def- can it become like the infinite games on Roblox? Because a lot of Roblox games, even though they're very fun, they don't really have a very strong narrative. They don't have like a very long replayability. But then the one that is really successful, like the top ten game, whether it's Adopt Me, Bohaven, Bloxfoot, right? Oh, it was Adopt Me. That's the yeah. one. <laughs> was it the yeah. one in the garden or? Yes, it was that, <laughs> the girl that does Adopt Me. Oh, um, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yes, but, that's where the flowers have came come from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they, they have so many updates. They have amazing community. And, and, and our ultimate goal is to have that infinite games on Roblox, right? And we, we were going to find out only by launching as many experiences as possible to really understand what stick with play, what is a good combination of learning and gaming, right? And, and I talked to a lot of like other developers, like some some I, random ideas we have is a cafe management game, right? Someone was telling me cafe management game is good for language learning because what's the first lesson you learn when you learn a new foreign la- language? How to order food. In a restaurant. So why not make like a cafe simulation game that teach you foreign language? So there's just like so many ideas that we want to try with our team and the goal is like, how fast can we build those experience and test if they work? Yeah, this is yeah. so cool. Yeah, <laughs> and, I and, and I think also there's so much improvement in some language games. I tried to teach myself Japanese through a Nintendo game along, not Nintendo game, sorry, uh, a game on the on the Nintendo 3DS, and it was just so boring. It was yeah. it was the worst. The only word I learned was watashi, which means we, and that's the only thing I remember. <laughs> Wait until we, we release our game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. But as, as, as Emily said at the beginning, we we are having two tracks, the long-term track and then the short-term track. And, and that also aligns with Roblox's players. So Roblox kind of divides its players like in tourists and locals. And the tourists are the ones that jump from one experience to, to the other. And they like this like short games that you play for, you know, five minutes today and then tomorrow you don't come back. And then you have the locals that want to go deeper into an experience and they play the same game all over again. So by having these two tracks, we want to have something for the tourists that come and play something fast and leave, but also something for locals where the content can be deeper and they can replay the same game all the time. And many times, these shorter games, we'll have to sunset them eventually. So we will continue this longer games with longer track. So in a way, we're trying to feed one game into the other and then see what works and then develop the ones that stick into these long-term games. I see. Yeah, it's a really interesting way to break it down. But I like that there's, you know, there's again this specific attention from you guys as Roblox, as a Roblox third party studio to understand specifically the behaviors and the consume consumption habits of Roblox players, which yeah. is might be different than, you know, a, a typical a different other a different gamer on some other genre or whatever. A couple of quick questions there that have keep on popping up that are more just like logistical, but like you mentioned that you're going to build four games in six months. How much capital is typically required to build a great third-party Roblox game? And second, how many other Roblox third-party publishers are out there? I know there's a lot of creators, and those are more like individuals, the, like the 16-year-old kid that you were alluding to. But how many other like incorporated studios are there? Yeah, so to build a game, I think just the, the scripting can be anything between... 40,000 to 100,000 just to build the game and leaving marketing. Peanuts for AAA. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, That's why it takes, it has to be like, you know, a month execution and then put it out there. In terms of other studios, I honestly, I I, I know there are a lot of creators, like millions of creators in in Roblox. Out of them, I don't know how many studios. And I think the really big one is some of them are brand experience. Those are yes. very popular on Roblox. Yeah. And the brand experience will work with like other agency that create brand experience. 
So do you consider them as in corporate studio when they are more like work for hire? So it's really hard to like categorize like studios that just, you know, building on Wolfbox. I think like, you know, the Uplift game, the, the, the studio that did like Adopt Me, right? They are in corporate studio, have like right, team of right, 15 right. people, for example. But then, you know, once you get out outside the top 10, even top 20, it become very like a mix of like creators or maybe working for agency or like part of like a brand experience. Yeah. And, and many and times those- creators become, become studios just because the, the games get very popular and then they, they turn, they start hiring or partnering with other creators and then they become a studio. Got it. Got it. And then there's also this like whole secondary markets of like, you know, um, studio acquiring experiences. Like they might not make games themselves, but they will acquire like experience on Roblox that have potential to become the infinite games on Roblox, right? So, so those studio that doesn't necessarily like make games from scratch, but then they, a purpose of just growing the games. So there's actually a lot of different business model in Roblox that people might not be like highly aware of, and we were we didn't know until we just thought that oh, Roblox is kids making games, but that's so far from the truth. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And then okay, so but again there might be a limited number, a smaller, obviously a smaller number of third-party studios, some branded experience. I saw that Roblox had a big like marketplace update as well. Still going back towards that profitability question, right? You've told your employees like, hey, we'll pay you a fixed fee. Maybe there's a rev share in the future. But as for you guys, as the third-party studio, what sort of business model or an economy are you guys looking to build on the Roblox system, whether or not that's involved in the marketplace or having brand partners and relationships with, I don't know, maybe you sell a Jamestown Gucci bag for an an inordinate (laughs) amount of money because ostensibly you guys incorporated a studio also to potentially build profitability over time. Obviously you're starting with the community first, but what does that look like? You know, maybe let's just say, you know, 12 games from now, which for you would only be like in a year, given your pace, what does that look like in the future? We are, we are still testing. Yes. On, on ways to, to monetize. We had a lot of discussion internally about who, who is our customer? Because we know who our users are, but who is our customer? Are we selling to parents? Are we selling to children? And we decided, we made this executive decision, we're going to focus <laughs> on the players and we want to create the best experience for them. And then as parents and also us talking to parents, we realized that when it comes to Roblox, parents don't have a very good visibility into what games kids play and they choose the experiences themselves. So if we were to sell to parents, they wouldn't have the, the, they wouldn't have so much of a say into what games their child plays, especially at the age that we're targeting. So that's why we, we decided we're going to focus on, on our users. And, and when it comes to monetization, we will, we will have in-game monetization. Maybe we're going to look into subscription. I know that Roblox introduced or will introduce a su- subscription model also. Something that, you know, for us to, to think if it makes sense in, in the future, I don't see it relevant at this point, just because we want to offer to as many kids as possible the possibility to learn and a subscription model will kind of hinder. Yeah. From, from that. I I also like, you know, to take a step back, right. You know, most ad tech are either selling to school, selling to governments or selling directly to parents. And, you know, maybe that what happened is that you end up making games, what parents or adults want kids to play, not what kids actually want to play. Right. So by yeah. switching and, and, and to be honest, like uh, selling into schools is really challenging. It's very gated, Sorry. gated <laughs> institutions, right? You, you, you have to have like a 200, 300 people sales team just to even start that process. And what we are like a studio of like, what, four full-time employees, like three other contractors, we, we can't be like spending our capital on that. So with that, like we, we're taking approach of like, who do we want? Who who do we care about the most? Is players getting values out of our games? Players appreciating what we're building. So player first, then parents will come, then school will come, 
then the teachers will come. So that's our idea. And then in the same time, like, of course, we are talking to other folks in terms of partnership. Like, can we do like a collaborations of like back to school? Maybe we can do an educational game for back to school. Um, can we like, are we talking to different like brands to see if they're interested into partnering and also talking to the Roblox team to see what they're thinking about Roblox education in the future, especially after they announced that $15 million investment. So their leaderships also believe that there is potentials in Roblox education, but what that looked like, I think that's a billion dollar question. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And maybe as also a, a relatively final business model question, I have another billion dollar question. <laughs> Tell me all you know about how to defeat the Roblox algorithm, because as I've understood it, it's one of those. It's very similar to TikTok. It's and 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 any other basically when you're. I guess, tied to the platform and you're building directly for the platform, you've put all your eggs in this Roblox basket, you know, you similar and also YouTube, like you have to basically find a way to make sure you're hitting the three things that they have publicly stated are there a big factors in their algorithm, which is engagement, monetization and retention to hit and get service visibility in the charts. So Walk me through how you guys are thinking about that. Obviously, like, you know, you've mentioned very openly, you're not marketing this as an educational game. So what are you marketing it as? And how do you guys hope to maybe ascend to being like one of those like top 10, top 15 Roblox games? Yeah, so we were working with a, well, I wasn't say that they're a marketing agency. I would just say that this one kid. <laughs> well, they, they, they are a marketing agency. They are of one kid. <laughs> well, a couple kids now, but but we we like we were very like transparent with like what we know and what we don't know, right? We we don't know what it's like to market in TikTok, uh, in in Roblox, and we have to kind of go after the experts who has been doing this for a long time. How do they get like a TikTok video viral and lead to people coming to Roblox, lead to people coming to building that Discord channel, right? And then we learned that there are a few things, and I'm overly simplifying it and Anka please correct me is number one icons what kind of icons are we making to attract players to mm. at least even click the game first number two it's like the text in your game description right like how are you writing those texts are you hitting all these keywords you know like a oh, player comes in do they cl- even click to play the game right are they going to upload the experience and then finally it's like you know UGC, like, are we creating UGC items that we can give away to players that is exciting for them to actually collect? So there's a lot of things that we are learning and working with our, you know, Gen Z and Gen Alpha marketers to really understand, like, what makes you click a game and open that experience? What makes you stay? If we do a bunch of these, like, UGC giveaway every week, would you stay? So there's just a lot of research that we are still doing to figure out what stick, but it, it comes down to, you know, do they even want to open this first? Can we even, can we solve that problem first? Then we're trying to like kind of take this tiny step, one step at a time. W- at what point did they churn? Did they like leave the game? Was the tutorial too boring? Should we even have a tutorial? Should then give, should we give them a puppy so that they can collect a puppy? Should we, we give them a cool backpack so they can use that Africa <laughs> items in other games? You know, so... <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah it, it's like relearning the whole gaming ecosystem in this platform yeah, um, yeah. and I, I think we're, we're also we're we're betting a lot on roblox's virality just yeah. because it's so easy to get well it's slightly easier than on other platforms to to get games viral just because the community is so large but also so close and they they know all the new games. All you need is an influencer to post yep. about your game, and then that's how you get your your engagement. So as Emily said, we, like we're, we're trying to do like one step at a time. Now we're focusing. We're going to launch our TikTok campaign in November in order to get some traction, to get some users to to our Discord community, and then later to the game. Then once we launch the game. We will check for retention. We're going to check the numbers all the time and see how we can improve retention. And then after that, we're going to add the monetization. So I think to be to be very honest, from what I'm reading on all the the you know Roblox dev forums, nobody understands the algorithm. 
And everyone is complaining that they always make changes to algorithm, to the algorithm that, you know, impacts their game in a positive or in a negative way. So I, I don't think there is, you know, any uh, secret recipe for, for that. But if, if we find it out, we can have another episode and <laughs> we can share it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But it's like this whole thing about adoption, right? How, how fast can you like switch cars and change things? So you can like play well with the algorithms. And I think like for any like startup studio, all we have is speed. How fast can we change our course? How fast can we pivot? How fast can we like build along with the community? And, and even though like it's not exactly easy to manage a team of developers that have crazy different schedule and work very differently, one thing they have is that this generation of new developers, they're fast. They're damn fast. Like they, they so brave and they, they cope with such bravery. They're like, oh, there's a new package, gonna use it. I'm like, wait, 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 should we like at least test it out, do some QA? <laughs> no, just gotta use it, gonna put it in the game. And, and, and I'm just so inspired by their bravery. And I felt like Wobox is so innovative in this way because they also have a group of developers that's so willing to try new things. And I'm like learning every day from them how to become a better like team lead for them, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I think this is this is so important, and I think it's it's a like it's also the beginning of so many potentially illustrious game development careers for a lot of really young kids, which to me is obviously like just awesome and beautiful. And I think it's something that we should encourage a lot of people of diverse backgrounds of at a younger at a much younger age than by the time they get to college or something like that to be involved in things like game development. So. We're running up on time, but as a final question for both of you guys, I would love to know what's the most important thing you've learned from a video game. And also we usually conclude by asking you guys to share um, ways to follow what you're doing or how to get in touch. So maybe Anka, you can, you can start us off. The most important thing, I feel like I always loved strategy and management games. I'm a very organized person by <laughs> by nature, so I think that's that's something that kind of maybe it helped me to be who who I am now. So I feel like every like strategy and managing and organizing everything that's that's one thing that I I always take away from from the games that I played. Emily, yeah, I think the thing I learned the most from gaming. It, it, it's it's kind of crazy because like I met my spouse through gaming and, <laughs> and, and it's really that interpersonal relationship management. You don't think about that because you think like you, you play a games, but you actually learn a lot of people's skills playing games because the person who you play against on the other side of the virtual world is also a person. So how do you communicate with them? How do you make sure they do the things that you tell them to do? How do you lead a raid in like World of Warcraft, you know, right? It's just so much like interpersonal skills. And I learned a lot from that when, since I was a kid playing games. So yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and how can anybody get in touch with you if they're looking yeah. to follow the studio? or um, they, they can check our website. We have also a newsletter that we publish every quarter. Our yes. website is tinycometstudios.com. And we're also having a blog. And we just, we just wrote, I think, the past two days, uh, a post about what, what are the key ingredients for a successful Roblox game, just based on our own research by us as a team playing the game every playing different games every week so please check it out on on our website on our blog our our post perfect yes. that's awesome thank you guys and i think this is such a remarkable effort i'm so inspired by what you guys are doing i think that the the amount of time that people are spending in the generations in our generation and in the generations below us, this is absolutely i think one of the best things a gaming studio can be doing for the future of education and in addition to all of the other incredibly interesting things that you guys are doing on Roblox as a platform, I think this is one that's especially important to call out because it's something somewhat of a, of a crisis in the, in the U.S. at least. So on that note, though, we'll be concluding. Big thank you, Emily and Anka, for coming on air. Thank you to our listeners. I will be back in two weeks. And as always, hit me up at alexandra at novic.co. If you ever have any questions, comments, or concerns, I would love to hear your feedback that route. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank, thank you, you, Alex. Thank you. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.